insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show. Thank you for listening. And here's that number. Maybe jot it down or get it plugged in as a speed dial on your phone. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Just another word of gratitude to you for your participation in Pledge Drive, which is last week. It's done. It's over. But I just want to say thank you once again. We exceeded our need of $3 million by even a bit more than $3.2 million. So it was a spectacular success. Thanks to the Lord's providence and thanks to your generosity. Thank you. Uh, if you still want to be counted, actually, it's up to, yeah, $3.2 million. That's what it came out to. I just had to double check the numbers. Uh, if you would still like to be counted for this past pledge drive, you can, but only for probably today. Then the door closes. So if you want to, just go to relevantradio.com or make your Relevant Radio app do the work for you on your phone, and we'll count you, as we're, of today at least. We're only eight donations, eight gifts away, eight people away from 14,000 Oh, yeah, I donations. see that. Yeah, oh, nine 13. people, I'm sorry, bad math. Nine, we're nine people away. <laughs> 13, where'd you go to school? 13,991, as I see it. Is that what you see? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a lot of folks. That is a lot of folks. 14,000 people said, I want to help Relevant Radio. That's beautiful. Well, thank, thank you, you, everybody. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll not. Wouldn't it be great if we could just edge that up by nine more people today and be at 14,000 even? That would be interesting. Well, thank you for that. Thank you, Cyrus. You look well. You look tanned, rested, and ready. <laughs> rested and ready, maybe. <laughs> Can't, hard to get tanned in this weather. So I have an email that came in. This is on the heels of a conversation I had with a gentleman maybe Thursday of last week, I think it was, on the issue of Freemasonry and what's wrong with Freemasonry and why can't Catholics be Freemasons? So I got a note from, actually this might have been yesterday. So I got a note from Joe and he says, I'm a Catholic convert who left Freemasonry. Here's how you formally get out of Freemasonry. He says, number one, go to your local lodge and tell them you want to demit, D-E-M-I-T. Cyrus, have you ever demitted? No, I have to look up what that means. Not that you're aware of, right? Uh, And you've never been a member of the lodge, so you don't have to worry about that. But you go to your lodge and tell them you want to demit, D-E-M-I-T. And I, I presume, just by looking at the word, it's the opposite of admit, Number two, fill out the paperwork and get it signed. Number three, the document will be filled with the Grand Lodge, filed rather, with the Grand Lodge of your state. Four, they will tell you that you can be readmitted at any time. (laughs) And five, he says, shake the dust from your sandals, don't look back, you're done. Well, thank you for that, Joe, appreciate that. Now, it just so happens that I checked into one of the books that I recommend on the program fairly frequently. Well, I wouldn't say fairly frequently, but whenever the issue of Freemasonry arises, I tend to recommend the books by John Salza, S-A-L-Z-A. Primary reason being is that he, uh, born and raised a Catholic, he got into Freemasonry when he was a young man, and he rose up through the various levels or degrees of Freemasonry. The highest degree, as I understand it, is the 33rd degree. Well, he rose to the 32nd degree, and he was doing lots and lots of activity in the Lodge, So when he left Freemasonry and probably did the things that Joe just recommended, 
you want to deem it, file your paperwork, tell the Grand Lodge you're out, etc. Well, in the aftermath of his departure from Freemasonry and kind of a re-embrace of his Catholic faith, coming to his senses and realizing this was really not a good idea at all, he decided to write some material to help people either who are in the Lodge right now. And the Lodge is another term. If you're a member of Freemasonry, being in the Lodge is a term for membership. So in his book that I recommend is called Masonry Unmasked, An Insider Reveals the Secrets of the Lodge, again by John Saul. So you can find it at your local Catholic bookstore or order it online, whatever. Well, he has in, in an appendix at the end of the book, he, he tells you exactly how to do what Joe in short form suggested a moment ago. So I'm just going to read it to you. It takes two pages. He says, A Mason must inform his mother Blue Lodge that he wishes to resign from the craft because the Blue Lodge is the foundation of Freemasonry. Resigning from it automatically terminates one's membership in any other Masonic organizations, such as the Scottish Rite, the York Rite, or the Shriners. The Shriners, you may remember, those are the guys who ride around on tricycles. Kind of funny looking. They have the, the fezes, the funny hats, and they, they ride in typically in, in uh, parades. And they're raising money for Shriners Hospitals. They do good work for children. So nothing negative about that. But that is another one of the branches within the Masonic organization. So John Salsa says the resignation should be done by letter. If the letter is addressed to the members of a particular lodge, most jurisdictions require the secretary to read the letter aloud in an open lodge to all who are present. This provides an excellent opportunity for a former Mason to educate the membership about the truth of Jesus Christ and the incompatibility of Freemasonry with Christianity. So here, I love the strategy. If their rules require them to read the letter aloud, <laughs> well, your letter then becomes the message that you want all of those guys to hear. He says, such a letter of resignation may plant a seed in the hearts of other men who are privately seeking the truth. It also creates a record and resolves questions that may exist or arise concerning the resignation. So he gives a, a sample letter of resignation. Members of blank lodge number blank, this is to inform you of my resignation from Freemasonry. I can no longer be a Mason because I now see that the teachings of the lodge are incompatible with the Christian faith. Through its rituals and symbolism, Freemasonry promotes the error of indifferentism, the belief that all religions are equally legitimate paths to God. While Masonry teaches about the great architect of the universe, it is silent about the incarnation of Jesus he's referring to. While Masonry teaches that purity of life and conduct are necessary to gain admission to the celestial lodge above, it is silent about how our sinfulness and our need for, about our sinfulness and our need for a Redeemer. While Masonry teaches about the resurrection of the body in the Hiramic uh, legend, it is silent about Jesus Christ. The Lodge gives its members the impression that these truths of the Christian faith are optional, not essential to our salvation. Freemasonry also treats the Holy Bible as a symbol of God's will rather than the revealed written word of God. Masonry thus views Christianity as parallel or complementary to other religious traditions, not superior to them. Consequently, the Lodge welcomes any other religious writings to take an equal place with the Bible on the Masonic altar. 
all truths are made relative for the greater glory of Masonic fellowship. As a Christian, I believe that God, out of his eternal love for humanity, has chosen to reveal himself completely and definitively in the person of Jesus Christ, who declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's John 14, 6. God also wants all people to come to the knowledge of his of this truth. Because God is infinite, because God is infinite love and eternal truth, he cannot be pleased with Freemasonry's treatment of his revelation as optional. He cannot be indifferent to what a man does. Otherwise, both truth and falsehood would be consonant with his nature. This denies who God is. Freemasonry should be commended for doing many charitable works for the common good and fostering wonderful and lasting friendships among its members, but these things cannot be put above the fullness of God's revealed truth. Charity, brotherly love, and ultimately our eternal destiny must be founded on truth. While Freemasonry claims to be an organization in search of truth, one must ask what good is its search if it, what good is it, okay, let me start over. While Freemasonry claims to be an organization in search of truth, one must ask what good its search is if the truth is never found. For the Lodge, the definition of truth is left to the subjective whim of each member. For the Christian, the fullness of truth is found in his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, then you sign your name at the bottom, former Mason. So, because that question arose on the program, I thought it wise to go to some sources, and John Sauls is probably the best person I know of to answer that question. And that book, again, is called Masonry Unmasked. 888, oh, one more thing. If you're a member of the Lodge, if you care about somebody who's a member of the Lodge, let's say a Catholic person, Catholics are not permitted to be Masons. And this is something that, when you realize that, if you didn't know it before, I mean, if you knew it and you did it anyway, that's even worse. But let's assume goodwill here and assume that you didn't know that Freemasonry is forbidden to Catholics. And it should be forbidden to, to all Christians, but in a specific way, the Catholic Church forbids membership in the Lodge. And so if when you become aware of this, like you did just now, you should take steps immediately to leave the Lodge to deem it, as the terminology goes, make a good confession, be sure to confess this, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, it has been a month, a year, what have you, since my last good confession. These are my sins, and one of those sins should be, I either knowingly or unknowingly or quasi-knowingly was a member of Freemasonry, and I have since renounced it, and I've come back to a full practice of my Catholic faith, that excludes membership in groups like that. So if you find yourself at this crossroads, and I hope you do, then be sure to bring this up in confession so that you can be forgiven of this. And then the last thing is something that was part of the question that came up, I guess it was yesterday. Are there any spiritual, you know, is there any kind of latent residue maybe from one's former association with Freemasonry? There can be. There can be. And I mentioned in my conversation with the gentleman, sort of at the very end, I said, and by the way, if you have any paraphernalia, if you have any regalia, uh, Freemason books, um, artifacts of some sort, get rid of all that stuff. Cleanse your house of those things. Because there can indeed be 
nefarious, diabolical connections with things like that. And one of the first steps to do is to get rid of those things from your home. The second part, and I'm just reiterating this, but I think it's a good idea that you ask for a special blessing. Now, I don't mean, and and don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying you need to have an exorcism. It's not that. Um, The prayers could be called a minor exorcism, in other words, driving the devil out of your life and so on. But I think that would be wise as well. If you had any any kind of affiliation with the lodge, then to ask a priest, hey, Father, after mass on you know today, would you mind praying some prayers of deliverance for me? Or if there's a a minor exorcism in the in the Book of Rites, would you mind praying that for me? I've left the lodge, I'm renouncing it, and I would like a little spiritual armor. And I'm sure your priest would be very happy to do that for you. 888-914-9149. Let's get over to Jennifer now, waiting patiently in Auburn, Indiana. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. Yes. Can What's you on me? your mind this morning? My question is, how do I know um, who to pray to um, for different things? Like, are there different subjects that have different people, uh, not people, but entities? such as um, guardian angels versus God versus Mary, who, who do I take my prayer concerns to? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I love the song that we sometimes sing at Mass, uh, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. You know that hymn, you probably have sung it at Mass before. Let's begin with yeah. that idea, to praise God from whom all blessings flow, meaning that everything good comes to us ultimately from God, either directly or indirectly. So anything you need, any intention you may have, whatever it may be, ultimately you're praying to God. And and I should say this, first and foremost, you're praying to God. So don't ever let your prayers be, well, God, I'm not going to talk to you right now. I'm going to talk to this saint or that saint or our lady or an angel. Just remember that you're always addressing your concerns to God. And that should be the foundation of all of your prayers. Now, when you're asking a prayer of petition and you're, you're invoking the intercession of one of God's friends, one of the angels, good angels, of course, or one of the saints, well, in that case, you're addressing yourself directly to that person, and God permits him or her to hear your prayers. I mean, Jesus said that there's great rejoicing in heaven when even one sinner repents. He doesn't explain how that happens. He doesn't tell us the mechanics. We probably couldn't understand it anyway. How it is that the saints in heaven can be aware of individual repentances. We don't know how that works, but he says it happens. And I believe it because Jesus said it. So we can trust in that biblical revelation that if God permits it, then your prayers are heard by these saints. So you're asking them to pray for you. You're asking for their intercession, which means that just like you might ask me to pray for you as members of the body of Christ, they're not separated from us by death. They're just as much members of the body of Christ as we are in this life. We're, we're all members of one body. So when you ask Our Lady to pray for you, it's the same in kind as if you asked me to pray for you. You're asking her to go to God with a petition for God to grant something that I need. Just as if you went to, if you asked me to pray, you're asking me to go to God with my prayers on your behalf asking God to give you what you're asking for. It's the same thing in kind. You can think of a triangle. One line from you to me, one line from me to God, one line from God back down to you. That's just a visual. So 
If you are aware that a particular saint could be Our Lady, could be St. Joseph, could be St. Anthony, who's well-known for helping people find lost items, you can invoke people's intercession by name. You can ask for all the holy angels and saints in heaven to pray for you. So you have that freedom to ask whoever you want. But, but never separate it from your fundamental, always and everywhere, your prayers to God. Because as this, as the hymn says, you know, from God all our blessings flow, and God typically provides blessings through intermediaries. So, take for example, when He revealed the blessing of the incarnation that was about to take place, He did not roll back the heavens and speak directly to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Luke chapter one tells us that He used an, a messenger, an angel, in this case Gabriel, to announce the good news. He didn't tell St. Joseph, get up and go, because Herod wants to kill baby Jesus. He sent this important message through an angel, and so on and so forth. He mediates truth to us through the Holy Bible. Look at that. It's not even a person. It's something even less than a person. The Holy Bible is a book, or actually a collection of 73 books. And God mediates his truth and goodness to us through even a book, so that's why when you're thinking about this, you should always remember that everything comes from God, and it's entirely biblical to recognize that some of the gifts that he gives come through other people, but it's always still coming from God. Does that make sense, Jennifer? Yes, and uh, I mean, it does, but I guess that I have a further question. Like, okay, if I sure. am making a repeated prayer to God and nothing's happening that I can see, should I keep praying to God, or should I pray yeah. to? Yeah, absolutely. So, as I was saying a moment ago, you always pray to God. You don't you don't press pause and say, "Okay, God, I'll get back to you another time." You're not doing what I need, therefore I'm going to go around you and go to somebody else. No, that's not how prayer works. So you you always ask God for what you need, and you can enlist the help of His friends, like Our Lady, and you can ask her to ask God and help you. It's not like God, you know, sorry, Jennifer, I'm not going to hear your prayer. He does hear your prayer. But (laughs) your prayer can be amplified and strengthened through the prayers of other members of the body of Christ. I hope that's helpful. I'm, I'm glad you asked for that clarification. Thank you. I'll be right back. Thanks to network sponsor PushPay. PushPay offers parishes a platform for tracking donations and sacraments, overseeing schedules, mobile apps to help manage your administrative load, and much more. Info at relevantradio.com slash pushpay. That's relevantradio.com slash pushpay. The Patrick Madrid Show is 100% legal. Oh, yeah, totally. The Patrick Madrid Show is 100% legal. (laughs) For now, anyway. We've been waiting for a long time. Compelling insights. Yes, we've been waiting for a long, long time. Unpredictable conversations. We've been waiting for a long time. Encouragement for your day. We ain't gonna wait no more. We're getting ready to rock and roll. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Okay, that's right. 
Cyrus, you mentioned during the break you had an email that came in you wanted to get to. Should we do that now? Yeah, I don't know if you're going to like this one. Oh. Are you ready for oh, it? Oh, then definitely really. <laughs> All right. Is this right. what we affectionately I'll, call a nasty gram? This is a nasty gram. Okay. And, Patrick, it's hard to tell the tone of the voice of an email. When you send a text or an email, we kind of put our own tone of voice on what we're reading, right? So, True, yeah. So you call, interpret it. So I Right. And if I am interpreting this wrong, Sal, who wrote the email, please let me know. Because uh, I do not mean you any disrespect, but this is how I'm. This is how I read your email. This okay. is Sal listening in. New Should Me- I be sitting down for this one? You might what? want to sit down. This okay. is in New Mexico. He's listening in New Mexico, ninety-eight point nine FM, and the subject line is, "What are you talking about?" All mm. right, here, here we go. I'm going to read it. Wait, he addresses to you. It's to you. It's to you. Oh, to me. Okay. Yeah, it came to me, but it's it's addressed to you. All right. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> Now I know you are gone, beyond help. You have no mind. Your is the Bible, canon law, pope, sacraments, and the list goes on. Oh, yes. Don't forget about what Jesus says. You have said it all, debated and answered enough questions. Get off the air. Go back to your guitar and find another source of income. Bass guitar, please. (laughs) Let, Let the man finish. All right. The truth of the universe hides from you. If you knew Again? what I <laughs> stop I'm interrupting. Okay, I'm sorry. Go All right. If you knew what I know about Jesus, you would get the chills, pleasant dreams. Wow. What did know. I do to deserve that? I don't know. He doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't say. But he Sal, is. Sal, come on. Sal man. is mad. I thought we were buddies. You and me. I thought we were good that way. Wow. You said something. Well, at least he's listening. That's good. I appreciate that, Sal. And at least you took a moment to, as the song says, express yourself in your email. I appreciate that, too. I just don't know what what I did wrong. So if you want to enlighten me, um, I don't think I'm that far gone. So if you want to drop some wisdom on me, go go ahead and write me back and clarify what you mean. Because I Do you understand what that's referring to, Cyrus? Because I don't. I really don't. I wish I did. I wish I knew specifically what he was referring to. He just he just has yeah. the, the subject line, you know, what are you talking about? That kind of reminds me. You do not know what you are talking about. Oh, he's back. <laughs> yeah, he, he always says that. No matter what I say, he always says that. Yeah. So, oh, well. well, thank you, Cyrus. That was fun. We get all kinds of emails here, and I do appreciate them. I really do. Uh, 888-914-9149. By the way, I just want to acknowledge your note, Barbara. Thank you. You uh, sent me a, a link to a conversation from Tammy Peterson, Jordan Peterson's wife, talking about the rosary. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Let's see. She, was on, she was on Kale Clark's, Clark's show hmm. uh, a couple, maybe a month, that? maybe a month or two ago. Yeah, it's on It's on the archives. It's, it's very interesting. I will take a look at that. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. I probably was busy show prepping when Kale had that program on. You know, it's constant, don't you? Let's go to Bill in Melbourne, Florida. Good morning, Bill. Hey, uh, wondering, is it our imagination or has the amount of singing in the new mass like increased dramatically over the last decade? Because it seems like 80% of the mass is being sung now. When you say singing, do you mean the priest singing the his parts of the mass, or the congregation singing the, the different hymns? The congregation, 
like everything. Yeah, I mean, like mm-hmm. glory, to, glory to be the glory to God in the highest. The, the Our Father, the responsorial psalms. It's like it's almost like eighty percent of the mass is being sung now, which my wife that is does not true. like. Your wife, what? Tell me about. Tell me that. Oh, I'm sorry. She, oh, she just doesn't like it. It's kind of like one more thing we're throwing in the bucket of things, like uh, with Eucharistic ministers and altar girls that were actually toying with driving like an hour away to an ordinary mess. Okay. But we were just curious about the singing part. Yeah, sure. Well, I think your perception is accurate. And if you look at the document that discusses specifically the reform of the liturgy, it's called Sacrosanctum Concilium. I can spell it if you want, but it's the Vatican II document that explains what the reform of the Mass was going to be. And one of the things that is stressed is the participation of the lay faithful. So if you were to look at, well, I'm sure you've attended like a a low Mass, a traditional Latin Mass, low Mass, right? Okay. Yes. So what you notice there is virtually no participation on the part of the lay people. I mean, there's sort of by comparison to the new Mass, it's very minimal. The prayers of the congregation are recited aloud by the altar service, by the altar boys, and the people, they participate, but not in an audible way. So in Vatican II, one of the emphases was they wanted greater, in fact, much greater participation of the lay faithful. In fact, that's what section two of this document is all about, is we want people to participate. We want them to become involved in the Mass. And so that that led to changes that included, for example, lay people bringing up the gifts before the offertory. That was never done in the traditional, it's not done in the traditional Mass. It is done in the new rite of the Mass as an expression, kind of a concrete symbolism of lay people participating by bringing up the, the fruit of the vine and work of human hands, etc. Singing was another very important change, or maybe a significant change, we could say, and that had to do with let's get lay people involved in singing. So the, the recitation of the prayers that were prior to that time reserved to the altar boys, the, now the congregation says it. And so these are all aspects that, that changed from then till now. And the fundamental reason is a desire for greater participation. I mean, I could go on and on, but you probably don't want that. But if you read this section of Sacrosanctum Concilium, it gets into great detail, and it specifies what things are going to change to serve that goal. I've been to St. Patrick's, because my son lives in Columbus, like five or six times, and uh-huh. we have not noticed that kind of thing in there. Well, it's there. So if you go to the 7 a.m. Mass on Sundays, you won't hear any singing at all. In fact, a lot of the older people prefer the 7 a.m. Mass because not only is there no singing, there's no children. <laughs> there are very few yeah. children. Uh, that being what it is. Uh, but the, the later Masses, so for example, every Sunday Mass at noon, every noon Mass on Sunday, rather, is ad orientem and is sung, and you're going to get as much singing as you can possibly handle at the noon Mass every Sunday. Now, 10.30 and 9 a.m. Masses are also marked with a lot of singing. And some priests will sing their parts of the Mass. So sometimes the whole Mass is almost entirely sung. Some Masses are not. It depends on the priest and what he, you know, if he prefers to sing or not. But yeah, you're right. St. Patrick's, if you went to that early Mass, you would not have heard much of any singing at all. If you went to a later Mass on Sunday, chances are you would. 
What's your opinion on the congregation singing? Because do you like it? I like it up to a point. Um, I don't think it's helpful, at least not for me, to have a hymn that everybody's singing during communion, to use that as an example, because I'm trying to recollect my mind and focus my thoughts. And in not only hearing everybody singing, but also kind of the expectation that I should be singing is a distraction for me. Maybe it's not for other people, but it is for me. Um, I would prefer some, you know, quiet or beautiful or both organ music playing. Um I, I think that there are certain hymns, like the entrance hymn is certainly a wonderful thing. The recessional hymn at the end of Mass is a wonderful thing. Um, I really, really like the singing of the parts of the Mass, so the Our Father, so the Paternoster, and the uh, the Sanctus, and the Agnus Dei. I really like singing those. I think that's a beautiful thing. So, personal opinion, but I do prefer that. I just don't like the, I don't like a hymn being sung while I'm up while I'm getting ready to go to communion for the reason I mentioned. But that's just me. It's personal preference. Can I ask you one last question? Yeah, sure. Do you, do you think me... Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, sorry about that. It sounded like you were in an echo chamber. Um, oh, no problem. Do you think, you think us driving like uh, an hour to go to an ordinary at Mass instead of, you know, going to the local kind of new Masses because they kind of Depends annoy us how... a little bit? Is that a bad thing or is that... No, it's not a bad thing. Depends on how out there, I mean, like how out there the local mass is at your parish. If it's like way out there and it's so out there that you're distracted and unsettled by the end of mass, you don't want to leave mass that way if you can it feels avoid like a it. Protestant mass to me. I mean, I grew up Episcopal. It, it just it feels mm-hmm. like a Protestant mass. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if it if it makes you unsettled, then I would avoid it and go somewhere else. And yeah. the ordinariate mass is beautiful. I actually have never attended an ordinariate mass. For, for those who are wondering what that is, there was a an ordinariate, which is a it's a canonical structure that Pope Benedict the Sixteenth formally erected for the benefit of those who want to come into the Catholic Church from the Church of England and its subsidiary groups. So it's a way for them to come into the Catholic Church, be Catholic, be you know loyal to the Pope, and all of the above but at the same time retain some of the beautiful aspects of their Anglican patrimony. And um, it is definitely very attractive to people. I've known people, Bill, like you, who gravitate toward that because they prefer um, the greater solemnity and, and and less of the kind of things that are happening at your local parish that you're finding unsettling. So, no, I don't think there's any problem with it. If it's not tolerable where you are, you, you're free to go to another Perish if you wish to do so. Okay. All right. Thank you for your time. Appreciate you're what welcome. you do. Yeah, thank you. And next time you're at St. Patrick's, be sure to come over and say hello. I'd be happy to treat you to a cup of coffee in the parish hall. They do coffee and donuts most Sundays after Mass. Uh, 888-914-9149. How about David now in Wilmington, North Carolina? Good morning, David. Uh, hi, Patrick. Um, if someone is experiencing uh, mystical experiences, how would they know whether their intimate prayer life is legitimate or delusional? For example, entering ecstasy as the mystic saints did. Aha, uh-huh. that's a good question. I have a, a book that recently came out. Not It's not my book, but it's by Father Cliff Ermatinger. So if you have a pen handy, I would encourage you to write this down. First name Cliff, mm-hmm. like the kind you don't want to fall off. Ermatinger, E-R-M-A. T-I-N-G-E-R, by the Cliff Ermatinger. The book is called Who's Speaking? 
discerning the good shepherd's voice from that of the stranger. And it is um, an analysis of this issue through the saints. So through, for example, St. John of the Cross and other saints who were masters of the spiritual life. And so he, in this book, he gives you a tremendous amount of information at a practical level, how you can discern, is this God speaking to me? Is this some good angel prompting my thoughts? Could this be a bad angel? Could this be my own imagination? It's really helpful, and it's one in a series of different books on the spiritual life that he's written. So Who's Speaking by Father Cliff Ermatinger, I think, will give you lots of information about whatever it is that you're experiencing. Okay, um, and a little follow-up. Would yeah. the church, uh, would the Catholic Church only know that those people were legitimate after their death by proof of their miracles via intercession? When you say those people, who are you talking about? Like um, the canonized saints who like went into like went into ecstasy or experienced ecstasy um, in prayer. Yeah, the the traditional way of that of being recognized or determined maybe is after death when the church is investigating and usually historically at least it was a long process that was in some cases centuries long the more modern tendency to canonize somebody almost immediately to my mind is it's a it's not a smart pastoral decision because sometimes things can get missed if you're hasty and that would be a real problem down the road if somebody's been canonized a saint. You find out, uh-oh, there was a problem here that we didn't know about. So I'm very much in favor of the Church taking its sweet time when it comes to canonization. But to answer your question, over the course, historically, over the course of however many decades or centuries even, this is one of the requirements as a way to determine whether or not this person is really in heaven. The first would be at the stage of beatification. Now, there are many other things that, that lead up to this, but by way of miracles, the stage of, of beatification requires a bona fide miracle that can't be explained scientifically or in some natural way. And the same is true for the next level, the final level of canonization. So in addition to interviewing witnesses and investigating the person's personal life and looking for signs of heroic virtue and whatever other things pertain to this question about the sanctity of the person, the miracles are those barriers that the Church imposes as a way to try to strain out or, or filter out people who are not actually bona fide uh, saints. Maybe, maybe they were good people, but maybe they were not, in fact, saints in this life. So yeah, that would be part of the process, and that would be why, to make it as difficult as possible to demonstrate that somebody was a saint. Now, just one further thought here. During the lifetimes of some people, like St. Padre Pio, for example, his, his day-to-day life abounded with miracles. You know, the miracles of bilocation, for example, and reading people's secret thoughts, and other miracles that he was able to perform. And so when he died, there already was a cult, and we're using the term cult not in the modern sense of the word, but in the the classical Latin sense of the word, meaning a religious devotion to. There already was a cult of Padre Pio because people knew from experience and eyewitness accounts that he was a miracle worker. So that went with him into the process, which is why I think his canonization happened relatively 
quickly after his death. But let's take somebody who was canonized, uh, Pope, uh, Pope Paul VI. I've read widely about his life, and I would be hard-pressed to tell you anything that anybody really ever said about him as being exceptionally holy or heroic virtue. I'm not impugning him, don't get me wrong. I'm not in any way denigrating the memory of Pope Paul VI, but he's a canonized saint just recently. But there was nothing, externally at least, in his outward life that people were buzzing about, about how holy he was. So there's an example on the other side of things. I have to take a break, though. Thank you for the call. Appreciate that. 888-914-9149 is the number to call if you want to be on the air. I'll be right back. Bro, what are you waiting for? Download the relevant radio app. Listen to the Patrick Madrid Show. And let the good times roll. This hour sponsored by Christendom College. Send your child to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. Use promo code RELEVANTRADIO and get 50% off. Spots fill up very quickly, so apply today at thebestweekever.com. That's thebestweekever.com. Patrick Madrid is on Coast to Coast on Relevant Radio. That's funny. You like I like that. All right. I feel like I'm trapped in an illustrated video in a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> and Nancy's on the other side in the real world. Perfect. And I don't know who it is trying to chase me, but as long as there's tacos involved, that's a good thing. Who who did that? That's interesting. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to look. I don't even yeah. know who did it. Ah, it's not important. But that's a, that's a fun song. Did you see the taco that they served my freshman daughter at high school yesterday i I, was not there i think i sent you a photo of it uh so she's all excited let me take a look yeah i put it on twitter uh oh no wonder i didn't see it i was busy show prepping right it's constant so so she's excited she hears that oh it's gonna be fish tacos with cilantro oh i saw that yeah Yeah. and and Whatever. So it it sounds really good. And so she goes up and she orders it. It's literally, this is all it is, two gross-looking fish sticks on a tortilla. A gross-looking tortilla. And a gross-looking tortilla. And nothing else. There's the, no, no cilantro. There's, no, not, there's nothing else. There's no slaw. There's no yeah. lemon wedges. So that's what, that's what they're feeding their kids in public schools. It's your tax dollars at work. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It's so gross. Oh, I, yeah, it's, it is girl. on Twitter. Look at that. Yeah. And there's something, some foil thing on the other little container. That was, <laughs> she, I asked about that. She said it's applesauce. <laughs> that's a taste sensation. Yeah, so there's your, you got your fruit and you got your, <laughs> you got your meat. Your grains. Your grains and your, uh, and and your, your protein. Fish. Your fish yep. byproduct. Keeping these kids healthy. I guess it's a lot wow. easier to mold their minds when they're malnourished. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. So that so how would people see that if they wanted to observe it? Oh, I, I guess if you want to look at the most disgusting lunch I've ever seen, uh, just go to X. Are we calling it X now? Are we jumping on the bandwagon? I haven't made that move yet. I, I'm still I'm calling just, it Twitter, and calling yeah. it X sounds weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I call it Twitter. Um, and you notice even on X, they still call it tweets. So <laughs> Do they, they, really? they have it. Oh, that's great. I'll tell you something. Um, my mom and dad didn't have a lot of money. Uh, we were always fed and clothed, and we had a, a nice home to live in. 
but not much else left over because it was a one-income family. My dad did a great job. My mom did a great job staying at home, taking care of us kids. But we didn't have any frills. So many, many days I went to school and my lunch was a, uh, it was a flour tortilla with peanut butter, in the, you know, wrapped up with peanut butter, sometimes peanut butter and jelly, sometimes beans, cold refried beans mm, at mm. lunchtime. Um, other kids were coming to, to school with zingers and all sorts of other fun things. And occasionally we would get that. Don't get me wrong. It was occasional. But I've had lunches that were less appetizing looking than this. And yet I'm alive and well. Yeah. And all right. my mom and dad did a good job. Good point. Yeah. Hey, you know, I, I have an email that kind of goes in line with what you're talking about. Is, can I share okay. this? Well, you're email rich today. I, didn't I am. This is my emails. this is my last okay. one. I promise. Right. Uh, no, no, I I don't mind. <laughs> but this fit. This really fits in with what something you just said. Yeah. And she asked to remain anonymous, so I'm I'm not going to say where or who she is. She says, "I am a faithful Catholic convert of about ten years. My husband and I have been blessed with three very young children. Um, I listen almost every day to relevant ra- radio, and it has helped my faith life tremendously. While we are deep in the trenches." On the Patrick Madrid show, there seems to be a constant topic about sending your kids to Catholic school. But what if the Catholic school denies your children admission into the school? I wish homeschool was a long-term option for us, but we both need to work to help pay the bills. Even with me working, we are barely making ends meet. I just don't have the energy left over to help my kids every day with a complete set of schoolwork. There are other great Christian schools in the area, but they are obviously not teaching the fullness of the Catholic faith, and the other Catholic school is about 30 minutes away. How would you recommend going about deciding how to educate your children if you were in this situation? I am completely distraught about my children not getting accepted into the school and not sure how to proceed. The administration and priests at this said church have continuously let my family down on several occasions throughout the years. We, are, we still go to Mass despite them since Jesus is still fully present there, but I can't help but feel God's call to go elsewhere. If we do, cho- it's, a, it's almost over. If we do choose another Catholic church further away, I am not sure we'll be able to afford the gas to even get there, and I'm not sure I'd be awake after working my night shifts. Thank you for any input or even a story of hope. Well, so she's a young mom, young wife, and she's working night shifts just to cover the monthly budget. It sounds like she's at the end of a rope. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear this. I really am. And I know you want to remain anonymous. I don't know your name, but I'm thinking back. So you're asking, what would I recommend? So let me first think back to when we were newly married, young kids. And we, Nancy and I, we were really, really tight on money. It was a one, um, a one income family. She stayed at home. She's always stayed at home to take care of the kids. I mean, that's a two full-time jobs in themselves wrapped into one. And I would go off and work. And in the early years, I didn't make much money. I really didn't. So I, I can remember those days of want and scrambling at the end of every month to figure out, well, which bills do we pay on time this month and which bills do we not pay on time this month? Cause we just didn't have as much money as we needed. So what, what we did to be creative was she stayed at home and she would from time to time, and sometimes it would be for months at a stretch or even a year or more at a stretch where she would take in daycare for other working moms. And so she would get, Nancy would get paid 
to watch these kids of other moms who were going to work every day but needed a place that was safe and friendly and wholesome for their kids to stay. So that's how my wife was able to homeschool our kids and, you know, make lunch and all that. But at the same time, she was able to earn money that went toward the family budget. I don't know if that's something you could do, but but it worked for us. And I never saw those kids. So I would be gone in the morning on my way to work before they ever arrived. And they would be gone before I got back home at the end of the day. So that was part of Nancy's world that I never really saw very much of. But she was working hard, but it allowed her, by taking care of these other little ones from other families, to be there for our kids. And so that's one thing to consider, maybe. That might be a way to replicate the amount of money that you're bringing in from your job. And especially if you're working the night shift, that really throws everything off. So my heart goes out to you, and I I would encourage you to try something like that. Now, nowadays, with the internet and all kinds of alternatives, there are other ways that you can make money uh, from a distance, you know, being a, an employee that works not in the office, but but is doing work from a distance. That's available now in a way that it wasn't before. So maybe to look into some of those things. But as far as the local church is concerned, without knowing anything else other than what you mentioned, my heart goes out to you and your husband if you've been turned away from the, the school. I can't imagine why they would turn a family away, especially if your parishioners there, you have a right to send your children to the Catholic school. And I mean, unless you're practicing Satanism in your living room or something, which I know you're not, there's no reason for them to say no to you. So if you're not getting anywhere with the pastor, you can contact your bishop and, and say, Bishop, I know you've got already a million headaches to deal with, but forgive me for giving you a million and one, but we are we don't understand why our parish church will not admit our children to the school. And here's what we've been told, or here are the emails that we've had with the pastor, whatever it may be. Now, as long as it's not like they don't have any room because maybe the parish or maybe the parish school is maxed out and there's a waiting list, that that would be different. I mean, if you're on a waiting list, then they're not discriminating against you because of you. It's just that they don't have the room. That's possible. But if that's not the case if they're not maxed out, if there isn't a waiting list, they just don't want your children, there's something wrong there. And and I don't know what it would be. Maybe maybe they think you're quote-unquote too traditional. That's dumb. Maybe they think you're quote-unquote too devout or something. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything more than what you described to me. But if it's something like that, where you are being discriminated against unfairly, and it's not a waiting list issue, then I would take it up with the bishop. I mean, assuming that you really want your kids to go to that school, because there's also the possibility that if you force the issue and the bishop calls up, says, Father McGillicuddy, what is this I hear that you're not letting the Joneses' children go to school? Guess what? Starting Monday, the Joneses' children will be going to your school. I mean, assuming that your bishop gets in touch with Father McGillicuddy and sets him straight, well, maybe your kids could be, I don't know, they might have to suffer the brunt of things if uh, they're there under protest. So we don't want that for your kids in any case. So if there is another Catholic school that's reasonable to get to distance-wise, maybe check into that. Homeschooling could be an option for you. There are many different things within the homeschooling world that can make that easier for you. In fact, if you go to the show page, relevantradio.com, 
uh, you can go to, let's see, you can go to our uh, sponsors. And we have a list of all of our sponsors. It's under sponsorship. And you'll see, for example, uh, you'll see all kinds of different things that are there. But we have, among other things, we've got Colby Academy. And uh, they would be one of our partners. And they would have a lot of good information on how you might be able to integrate homeschooling into your daily life. So, I mean, I'm just right now trying to come up with different ways that you could approach it. And those are the things that come to my mind. I hope that's helpful to you. Did I miss anything, Cyrus? Did I cover the salient points in her email? Yeah, I, I think you covered it. It's it's so tough, you know, when you're struggling that much. Um, like you start thinking about, all right, what can we cut? We can cut the cable. Do we really need a Netflix and an Amazon and a Hulu account? You know, it, no, no, no. Right. So you, you cut those things. And when you look back, when you finally do get out of this, which you will, you'll look back and these will actually be the happiest days of your life. Yeah, they certainly are. That's a good point, Harris. They certainly are for Nancy and me. We look back on those first, easily the first 12 years, 13 years. We were always tight on money. We were always, you know, a, a new baby coming out every two years like clockwork. We had a small house when we could afford a house. I don't know how we managed to scrape together the down payment, but we did. And of course, houses were so much cheaper back in those days, but we we got into our first house, 1,165 square feet. We thought it was palatial. I mean, for us, that was just like the the Palace of Versailles compared to the little the little bungalow that we were living in before that. We had two toddlers and um, a brand, and a newborn when we moved into this house, 1,165 square feet. And we were, we felt like emperors and it was great. And we lived in that house for nine years. And by the time we left, we had seven children and a baby on the way. You outgrew that house. That's a good way of putting it. (laughs) We had seven children and a baby on the way and two of us, and we had no more room. We just couldn't stay there anymore. So we wound up moving. But I will tell you this, because it's true, and that is that at every turn, often in ways that we could see, but I'm sure there were many things that we didn't see, they just escaped our notice, God's providence provided for us constantly. We, we always had enough food, we always had a roof over the, our heads, the kids always had clothes, we always had a car, we were always able to do these things that normal families do. Nancy stayed at home, one income, and I wasn't making much money. So I don't really know. I mean, I don't know if there's like a secret sauce or anything like that. But from my own personal experience, if you are generous with God, God will not be outdone in generosity to you, as the Bible says. So don't look at it as though you're not being generous with God. But just continue your generosity, being open to life, doing his will, going to mass, raising your kids, living a good life. He will not forget you. He will provide in miraculous ways 